0: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. We provide straightforward information by bringing excellent guests with real-world experience in all topics related to commercial real estate investing. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about what is the state of industrial investments today, how to analyze an industrial property, and we're also going to go over a bad industrial investment and how you can learn from it we are chatting with chad griffiths he has been an industrial real estate broker since 2005 and an investor in industrial only since 2014 here we go chad thank you so much for joining us today a good friend of mine introduced us to have you here. And I'm very excited to learn more about industrial. Industrial is a very popular topic in our podcast. First, why don't you tell us a little bit about you?
1: Yeah. Thanks, Stephanie. I'm excited to be here and uh, thanks for having me on. So I got my start in industrial real estate in 2005. I was originally in residential real estate and just didn't see a path forward on extrapolating out my career over several years. I just didn't see myself working evenings and weekends and every holiday for the rest of my life. So I made a transition into commercial real estate. Uh, The brokerage that I ended up joining happened to be heavily involved in industrial real estate so almost by accident I stumbled into industrial real estate like a lot of people interested in learning about it I didn't know a whole lot about it so it was a steep learning curve but I've been at that brokerage same brokerage now for 17 years I live breathe and sleep industrial real estate
0: I love it at some point I'm gonna ask you what you look for in these properties which I'm the most excited to hear about but first given the things I are changing, on a daily basis nowadays why don't we jump into what is the state of industrial today
1: i'd say all of real estate in general is under pressure with rising interest rates. And that's by design. The the Feds are intentionally trying to slow down the economy by raising interest rates. So I think anybody that isn't concerned about what the short-term impact of this will be is either naive or just very optimistic about medium to long-term. And I would fall in that latter camp myself where I don't necessarily concern myself with short-term aberrations because I don't buy real estate to sell it in six months. I'm trying to buy real estate to hold for the medium to long-term. But in the short run anyways, the rising interest rates are putting a damp and by design on the economy and the real estate market as a whole. I would say out of all the major asset classes from an investment standpoint, disregarding the residential side for a moment, but just investment grade real estate, such as office, retail, industrial, or multifamily, I would say in my mind, industrial and multifamily would be the two strongest ones to weather a storm. That doesn't mean that rising interest rates still won't have an effect on the market, but if I were to contrast it to office and perhaps even retail, those ones have more implications for more downturn than the other ones do. I think there'll still be some pressure in the short term on prices, and we might see an adjustment either in the form of higher cap rates or maybe even just a stagnant market where there just isn't many transactions. It's come on so fast. like The Feds have increased interest rates so fast that the market's still taking time to adjust. And most sellers can't just say, I want to sell my property, so put it on the open market, push a button and it's sold. It's a long process. So I think it's going to take time for some of these transactions to trickle through the system for those sales to actually become comparables that other people, whether it's an appraiser or other buyers look at. I think it's going to take a little bit of time to work its way through its system, but I am still bullish on industrial weathering the storm. I think that it's with multifamily, the best asset class to weather the storm, even with a longer term outlook, I still think industrial has a long runway ahead of it.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think with like all asset classes, it'll take at least a year and maybe two to see significant price decreases on these asset classes. Why do you think industrial is going to weather the storm better than office and retail?
1: For a number of reasons. I'd say the first is that we're still seeing very low vacancy rates in many key markets. Vancouver is an example in Western Canada. They have sub 0.5% vacancy rate. If, like, I can't even wrap my head around how low <laughs> that vacancy rate is. And even in other markets like New York, inland empire, other coastal markets, they're still sub 2%. And even if you go inland, market like Dallas is around the 5% vacancy rate. And you start seeing these really low vacancy rates suggesting that demand is still outpacing supply. The supply can catch up and perhaps overbuild, which is always a risk in real estate as developers just tend to get really optimistic and they overbuild. Until that happens, I still think there's a pretty big buffer for industrial vacancy rates have to increase a lot. That we see a corresponding drop in rental rates. I think that that's one of the main reasons. And then I also think that industrial real estate is a pretty attractive asset class for companies that perhaps don't want to lease a conventional office building or they don't want to lease a conventional retail building. And if they can get by in an industrial zone building, provided the municipality can give them a business license, if they can move from a, a high profile retail location to a industrial location, or if an office user can move from an office tower to a an industrial building, they can save a tremendous amount of rent. If we go into this economic downturn, which I'm kind of expecting that we are, then companies become a lot more rate sensitive and they're not going to close their doors. Businesses aren't just going to go bankrupt, but they're going to try and be more nimble. So I think that a lot of businesses will look to industrial just to see if they can save some money and it can't work the other way. A warehousing company can't go into an office tower, go into a retail strip center, but they can float towards industrial buildings. Vacancy rates are still very low. The outlook for the industry is still high. It has the ability to attract office and retail users.
0: And you made a distinction on warehousing and industrial. What is the difference there?
1: I usually actually break industrial into three subcategories. Warehousing, which is distribution centers, like we're all familiar with, like an Amazon distribution center. Basically, things just come in, they're stored, prepared for another time, and then they get shipped out. The other major one is manufacturing; those things are just made, manufactured, produced. Uh, And the other one is flex, and flex industrial is where I think a lot of these retail and office users can go into. They're typically buildings zoned industrial, but not necessarily compatible for either warehouse or manufacturing. Common examples: uh, churches, bottles depots, art galleries. I own a building where we have a 100% office tenant in it. It's an industrial zone building, but 100% office. So those flex ones are kind of a catch-all miscellaneous category.
0: Got it. So that's the type of investment that you have been investing.
1: Everything that I own is either manufacturing or flex. Warehousing is, is typically a lot larger buildings. There's an Amazon facility right outside of the airport. It's a million square feet. Quick math, that's probably a $20 million building just by itself. That's out of my budget. Those are usually owned by big institutional guys like pension funds or REITs. So it's just out of my price range.
0: That that's 2023 goals.
1: Yes. You'll have to put that on my goal board.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When you do decide to purchase an industrial property, what is your success criteria for selecting that property?
1: I'm a big believer in actually looking at downside risk first. So instead of trying to convince myself why I should do that deal, which to some extent you have to, because there's always reasons to convince yourself not to do a deal. But I do look at that downside risk first. And the way that I do this is what's that property worth vacant? So even if you're buying an industrial property and has a five-year tenant in there, that tenant might not renew when their term is up, they might go bankrupt. Any number of reasons can have that tenant move out. So I always go through the exercise of determining what that building is worth if it was vacant and compare that to the pool of available properties for lease and the pool of available properties for sale. Any comparable transaction data that I can offset that against is also helpful. But I just really want to have an understanding what that property is worth vacant. And then it helps me go through the exercise of identifying any things that might be wrong with the building, low ceiling heights or limited power or poor marshalling area for trucks to get into. If that property has any one of those characteristics, at some point that property will be vacant. And I want to know what my downside risk is by identifying that first. And once I'm comfortable that I have a relatively good idea of what that downside risk is, then I'll start building out a pro forma on five or 10 years and making a number of assumptions. You're probably the same as me, Stephanie. You can manipulate a pro form any way you want to have it spit out numbers that look appealing. But before I even go through that exercise, I'm really just making sure that I don't have exposure that I can't afford.
0: Can we go over maybe a deal that you have recently looked at and you either decided to write an LOI for or not move forward with it,
1: I can actually share one that I bought and subsequently sold and lost money on it, which is (laughs) what really helped shape my position on this, on why I'm so diligent about this. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was back in 2015. It was a second property that my partner and I bought. So it was a condominium building. So similar to residential, a lot of people don't realize that industrial can also be condominiumized. So this was a 20,000 square foot building or so, and there were 10 individual condo warehouse bays. And the neighboring company owned their bay and they were a seafood distributor. So they owned their next bay and they wanted to expand, but they couldn't afford to buy the one next door. It was a new development. This one was still vacant and unoccupied. So they asked if someone would lease it to them. We ended up doing a lease with the owner at the time and then buying it back from him. And then the company went and put in a $250,000 cooler. So we're thinking we're geniuses. This company already owns the bay next door. They just invested 250 grand in a cooler. Five years comes up. We're either going to be able to renew them at a higher rate, or we can sell it to them at that point. As time came up to it, we caught word that they had actually moved to another building and they were preparing to vacate this. And long story short, they are either brilliant in their negotiation tactic on this, or we just panicked, but we ended up selling it to them for about a 15% loss because they totally called our bluff on it. The main reason that they were successful in calling our bluff is that it only had a cooler in it. There's not even a washroom, no office space, no washroom. So we would have been forced to pay to have that cooler decommissioned and removed. We tried finding other companies for it and we couldn't at the time. So we'd have to pay to get it decommissioned. We'd have to install washrooms. We'd have to install office space. And we just didn't want to take on that risk. It was right at the beginning of COVID. So we were nervous about the economy and what was going to happen. So we panicked and sold. Had I gone through the exercise when we bought that of saying, what is this space worth vacant, as opposed to having starry eyes about this neighboring company that will be the natural buyer? Had we actually gone through the motions of saying, what is this worth? If these guys don't buy it, I wouldn't have paid the price that I did for that. That That's the one property that I've bought so far that I've lost money on. And it was because I didn't treat that property as being vacant.
0: Well, uh, losing money is part of risking. As a good friend says, those who don't risk don't drink champagne. I'm curious, had they actually literally moved or they just told you that they had moved?
1: It actually came third party. It was someone else that had told us that they had moved. Someone in our office knew that they were a tenant of ours and they brought it up that they had just secured a 10,000 square foot lease somewhere. So it wasn't even them that had said it, because if they were just telling us that, then we probably would have tried holding our ground more. But because it came from someone outside them altogether, we just took that at face value. And
0: they had moved.
1: Well, since they bought the bay that we sold them and they still own the one beside them, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually expanded. Their business was pretty good. They were always full. So we panicked, but it was also just a symptom of us being nervous. It was COVID. I think it was in June or July. So COVID had sunk in for a couple of months. Why are people even going to pay their rent? How is this part of the bank's going to work? We panicked for sure. But if we were in a better position, if it was a property that we knew we could find another tenant for, we wouldn't have had that panic. But we just didn't know how long it would take to find a tenant. We didn't know what the cost would be to build it out to whatever specifications that next tenant would have. So there's just a lot of uncertainty. And we ultimately made the decision that it wasn't, it wasn't a backbreaking amount of money by any means, but nobody likes losing money on real estate.
0: Nobody does or anything.
1: <laughs> or, or anything. No.
0: And how long did you have to make that decision? Meaning were they their lease expiring within six months or a year?
1: They had a option to renew, a unilateral option to renew on their side. And we were approaching them up until that, it was a six-month deadline. We were approaching them up until that time. They let it lapse. They weren't giving us any communication. We started marketing it, which was within our rights since the option expired. We were marketing it. We were trying to find a tenant that could work for a cooler space, trying to even be creative and see if another tenant wanted to come in, if we could build it out for them. But it was just a tough time in the economy. There just wasn't a lot of people fishing for space in summer of 2020. Actually, I shouldn't say that spring of 2020, because it did actually turn around and the industrial market started picking up steam, probably right after we sold it at a loss. So we we probably should have been patient for a few more months and it would have been a completely different story.
0: I also sold some stocks in March 2020. Painful, (laughs) painful. (laughs) This is great. Thank you. What are besides this, some other pitfalls to watch out for in industrial besides the fact that you you need to analyze how much the property is worth? vacant.
1: Another big one that I would say is just make sure that there's, and and this sounds obvious, but I can give another story. Just make sure there's actually a market for the property that That you're considering buying. And the most obvious one is people that consider smaller markets. I'm a big believer that I want to be in large metropolitan areas and I want to know that market really well. So every property that I own is within a 20 minute drive of where I'm sitting right now. So I can visit all these properties very quickly. But a lot of people are tempted to invest in smaller markets. And in some cases, really small markets like small towns, which will historically pay a higher cap rate just for the risk that's in there. But in my mind, it gets to a point where there's no cap rate that can actually incentivize a rational investor to pursue it from the sole standpoint that if it's a really small market and there's only a handful of businesses on that market, if that tenant leaves, and I always go into every property that I look at that the tenant is going to leave at some time, could be 20 years, but at some time the tenant is going to leave. And if it's in a small market, is there actually a market for another company to come in to take that space? And I have a client wearing my broker hat who bought a property in a small market, half an hour outside of our major metropolitan area. The tenant left a couple of years ago. They're still paying rent on it, but they vacated it. The company's still paying rent on it. They're trying to sublease it, but the property has been vacant for two years. Their lease technically comes up in, I think it's in the next couple of months. What happens if they don't find a tenant for that Now they've just lost 100% of their cash flow, and they're paying property taxes, they're paying the building operating expenses. Even more interesting, there's a provision in their insurance that somebody has to check the property every two days since it's vacant, just to make sure that there's no water damage or no break-ins. The main principal who owns that has to drive, and I think for him it's about a 45-minute one-way drive. So he has to drive an hour and a half, plus the time it takes him to physically inspect the property every two days just to keep his insurance in place. That's a painful example of things that can go wrong if you don't really understand the market. Kind of a big believer in like a holistically at a 30,000 foot view, make sure you fully understand what market you're investing in. And when you get more granular, make sure you understand all those downside risks specific to that one property.
0: Thank you. That's awesome. I'm sure there are at least 200 other topics we can (laughs) talk about But is there anything else that you think is important for our audience to know that we haven't covered yet?
1: I'm sure it's things that you've probably said on on other episodes, Stephanie, but it's really just be a student of the game. It's difficult to be a passive investor. Unless that's specifically what people want to do, if they want to be a limited partner in a a transaction, you could find sponsors that are doing deals and you could be a limited partner. But if you want to be actively involved in real estate, I think it's imperative that you just become an expert in the market. So whether it's industrial office, retail multifamily, you just have to have a really good understanding of what transactions are happening, what the comparables are, who's in the market, industrial specifically, that's a big driver. What type of tenants are in the market? What are they looking for? What properties are starting to become perhaps functionally obsolescent? What are the trends in there? Staying on top of all the news. I think people that dedicate themselves if you don't have the bandwidth to do it full-time, at least it becomes more than a hobby where you're constantly studying trends and market information and data so that you have the ability to make the most intelligent decision that you can. I just think you have a much higher chance of, of success versus someone that just tries to do it on like a pure part-time hobby basis.
0: Yeah, it definitely has to be a full-time job. Well, Chad, this has been great. I would love to have you back to maybe review industrial leases and what people should watch out for and think about. Until then, how can our listeners get in touch with you?
1: Uh, well, I love talking about industrial real estate. So I've got a YouTube channel where I talk about all things industrial real estate. Uh, if you just search industrial real estate, I think I'm one of the few people that talk about it regularly. So you'll probably find a video of mine. Uh, or if you just want to reach out by email, it's a Griffiths, C-R-E at gmail.com. And I try to reply to every email within a day or so.
0: Chad, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Stephanie. Love the conversation.
0: Make sure to subscribe to our super sweet and straightforward newsletter at monicarlorei.com and I will see you next time.